Hey everyone, it's another episode of No Meat Athlete Radio. I'm Matt Fraser, joined by Doug Hay. Today we're talking about commitment. How's it going, Matt? <laughs> it's going great, Doug. I've got a story. Okay, let's hear it. Last night, or yesterday, all of yesterday, I was pretty just overwhelmingly tired and came from nowhere, and then all afternoon I had this lingering headache that kept me up most of the night. And I realized this morning as I was making my coffee that I had forgotten to make coffee yesterday. I think that that was why. <laughs> I can guarantee that is why. I thought you were going to say that you thought it was eating oil or eating cooked food or something. No. <laughs> but it made me, it made me uh, like scared, I guess. I, I, oh, you know, a, surprised right. at how, how, how much it had really affected me. Yeah, I've read stories online of people who thought they had brain tumors, and then they, they realized that, like... That crossed they, my mind. <laughs> I was laying in bed last night, and I was thinking, like, what is... Because I never get headaches. I was like, right. what is causing this headache? I think it, it feels like a deep, deep headache when you mm-hmm. have that caffeine withdrawal. And I think people I've, the people who I've heard this from, like, they go on vacation, and they don't realize that they're drinking decaf because they're misinterpreting the labeling <laughs> in some other country or something. Yeah. And then after three or four days, like, what is wrong with me? <laughs> Yeah, it's. I mean, even you probably don't drink that much coffee a day, right? No, I have like you know a strong cup, maybe a cup and a half a day, and that's it. Yeah, I I usually cut myself off at one per day, and if I don't have it, I definitely get that headache. And it lasts two three days sometimes for me if I try to like really go off of it. Hmm. Yeah, it made me. It made me want to try. You know, I've never really tried to go off of it at all. You know, maybe I should do that. I yeah. It's. I don't know. I like. I like the idea of not thinking i'm addicted to something so i like to do that now and then just to like prove to myself that i'm uh-huh. that i can get off of this if i need to yeah uh does it come like uh when you do get off of it and you have a couple cups of coffee for a few weeks do you automatically get back on th- this is what happened to me this is really weird at the at the fruit festival last year we were mm-hmm. off of it for five days so like the first two days of the festival i had a really bad headache because i had no coffee i drank like three cups of it on the weekend i had a, there was a veg fest and i drove home from new york so like just on the road just figured okay i'm just gonna do this and when i get home back on this thing and i did that those three days of drinking coffee again got got me back into the headache so got you amazing back the yeah wow. so i don't know what, i don't know it just it works quickly the funny thing is you you would think that with something like that uh that you'd also would have this you know like a desensitizing desensitivity i don't know desensitivity to coffee Right, that like if if you're becoming addicted, that the coffee then starts to affect you less. Uh, you right. start to need more and more, and like that doesn't really happen. You can you can stay steady at one, and you still have this really strong headache, which is just a weird thing. Hmm. Well, I don't know. <laughs> I don't want to give up coffee. So <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't think there's I don't think there's a huge reason to. I haven't seen much reason to give up coffee. I've looked at this stuff a, a good amount. Just I don't know. That's kind of yeah. how I am. But but it did make it did it kind of uh, you know made me a little uncomfortable that I was that. Yeah. That it would keep me, you know, that a headache was that bad that it would keep me up all night. I don't know totally. what would happen if we had a coffee shortage. Or... We should start every episode with a story from you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this one today we're talking about commitment. Uh, it's it, no coincidence that I published a blog post earlier this week about that exact same topic. And the long and short of it, which we should say first, the reason I p- wanted to put the blog post and the reason that we're doing it here as well was to announce that we're going to be showing up more consistently. So with the blog post, that means two per week. 
And with the podcast, that, that also means two per week. We've been saying for a while we do one to two per week, which has mostly been true. Uh, but we're going to we're gonna go make it two a week for a good amount of time. Um, we don't know exactly which days it'll be. And if you are a podcast subscriber, like in iTunes or elsewhere, of course, you'll get them automatically downloaded, however your subscription does it. Uh, for email purposes, I'm probably not going to email the Nomad Athlete list about every podcast episode. Probably just one a week. And uh, just, you know, if you subscribe, you'll get them all. So that's a good reason to subscribe to the podcast. Uh, it's not a particularly good reason to go give us a rating and review, but why not do that too? Because that really does <laughs> well, help us. In there. <laughs> yeah. um, so anyway, we're gonna we're gonna kind of break down commitment, talk about the highlights of the blog post, post, but post, but but we will also listen, you know, listen to the podcast and read the blog. Uh, we'll also go somewhat somewhat deeper and talk about more stuff about commitment. Give you a few pointers and just some of the keys that we've identified because we've both done our fair share of committing to things. Um, okay, so it, it's kind of based, I mean, at least where I, how I started this this post is on a quote that I've liked for a long time. It's from a Starbucks cup. <laughs> so they used to do... Speaking of coffee. <laughs> right. Uh, they used to do these these quotes that they'd put on the cup, and they were okay. I don't know. And they, they, would, they would be like, quote number 79, this one, quote number 500, this. And, like, you only ever saw three of them, so I don't know that they really <laughs> had that many. Uh, but this one was from someone named Ann Morris, who I don't know who that is. I tried to look her up, and I found out she was an author. But then I saw another – someone had made an image out of this quote, and basically her name, it said Ann Morris, Starbucks customer. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> so, like, she's not really anyone maybe. But she just said this good quote about commitment. Here it is. The irony of commitment is that it's deeply liberating in work, in play, in love. The act frees you from the tyranny of your internal critic, from the fear that likes to dress itself up and parade around like rational hesitation. To commit is to remove your head as the barrier to your life. That's one well-spoken Starbucks customer. <laughs> it sure is. It must have been all that coffee. <laughs> so I read this back. I, this was, I guess, probably 2007 or 8 when they when they were doing this stuff. Because I remember I was, I was in the midst of that Boston stuff, and I, I knew at this point what commitment meant because i i felt this was one of the first times in my life where i really was like committed to something and i knew it at that point because i had made all this progress and it was this it had sort of redefined me and who i was uh i didn't quite i don't know i liked it because it's just sort of affirmed this idea that commitment is good and that you can there's some value to being committed to something even aside from the value that you feel in doing it right and and even in like aside from that I was moving myself closer towards Boston there's this other great thing about commitment that what it does for you just that it allows you to I think probably be happier but I didn't really fully understand what it was and I think I have a somewhat better understanding now that's I, good I think I, I mean I think what it is so I, I've written a few things on Nomad Athlete about uh, constraints and how when you when you take an artist who like you know there's this writer's thing where you stare at a blank white page and it's like what what do I write Mm -hmm. um, another type of artist would have the same same type of thing. Because what I do on Nomad Athlete is certainly art, right? Let's make no mistake about it. I, I'm an artist in every sense of the word. <laughs> um, but like, so I think a good example is there's there's a guy named Hugh McLeod, and he does art uh, with a little pen and business cards, right? It's on the back of business cards. So like, because he's confined to that medium, all of a sudden the creativity start kind of comes because you don't have that much you can do with that space. So there's only certain amount of detail you can go into and probably only certain 
I don't know, sizes of topics you can address in a small little business card. Right. Um, so like with the constraint comes this th- more creativity, more freedom. I never really quite understood how that applied to running because I kind of always got that. Uh, I think what it is though really is that when you when you make a commitment to something and you decide that you're going to do this thing and you really actually truly decide it and you mean it and you do, then that that conversation in your head stops happening. So if you're if you're not committed to running, which I've definitely been a lot of times where I get done training for a race and then I don't immediately sign up for another one. I just kind of like let myself do what I want for a while. Uh, it's really nice and it, it feels good to do that. It's pleasant. It's easy. I still get my runs in. But every time there's this conversation that, that morning or that day or even when I'm ready to go running that goes back and forth in my head and says, I don't really feel like running right now. I don't want to do this. Maybe I could just skip it. And with a real true commitment, that whole conversation just stops happening. I mean, you've still, there are still struggles for sure. And there's sometimes maybe it's just hard to get out there. But when there's really no doubt in your mind that somehow you're going to get this thing done, even if there is a little bit of a hesitation or procrastination, uh, you know what's going to happen. And I think, I think when, that, when, when that conversation stops happening, you kind of have reached a new, a new level. Like now you have this new freedom it's like you have this new constraint that you're going to run or whatever it is. You're going to do this every day, no matter what. And then it's like within that, it suddenly you have this freedom that I think you just kind of grow faster and you just you become a runner under that sort of circumstance. That the constraint really, like you said, it gives you freedom. It gives you this like structure. You know, an architect's not going to just sit down and design something. They're going to design a house or they design some sort of building, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I think that makes sense. Like if if you're just saying I'm going to be a runner. And I'm just going to go run. Mm-hmm. That's sort of like being the architect who has who just sits down with the blank whatever architect you use that blue paper. Uh, yeah. Whereas I'm going to train for a marathon, I'm going to use this schedule. Is mm-hmm. I'm going to make a house in this style. I mean, and I guess yeah. I guess there are varying degrees of how much freedom you can you can have. Uh, but yeah, the commitment is is uh, it's essential. I mean, yeah. it's. I was I was listening to this podcast recently, and I don't. Even, I was just trying to look it up. I don't even know what podcast it was, but it's talking about constrained writing and how there was this uh, famous author who wrote a bunch of books that we've all read. Um, and late in his career, he kind of went a little bit crazy, and he started using only newspaper clippings. He would cut out words and phrases from newspapers and only write short stories using those, like kind of mashing them up mm-hmm. together. So he was constrained by just the words that were already written in this paper yeah and it seems like so limiting right that you only have these certain words how could you make anything creative but because of that and i don't know if it's because the audience then appreciates that you only had this stuff to work with (laughs) or in in some cases not because like i think dr seuss there's a famous story where he wrote and i don't i wish i knew the exact one i think he wrote green eggs and ham or one of them with a hundred words and Uh then his friend or publisher or editor or somebody bet him that he couldn't write a book with only 50 words mm-hmm. and i think i think this one with 50 was where green eggs and ham came from right. i don't know what 100 was maybe the cat in the hat but in that case you know the audience i don't think uh, no one knew about that challenge right no. everyone appreciates the simplicity of dr seuss and how how why it makes for right. good kids books i mean i think that that's probably probably that those constraints elevated it to this new level of simplicity you know the, that right. people fell in love with right yeah exactly did you know speaking of that in Asheville, and i guess elsewhere some parents think it's not you shouldn't give kids books to kids like like nothing that is a cartoon or is anything beyond like outside of reality should be like I you guess should it, give them it, like I don't novels know. someone gave us a present once at a birthday party and she was like just so you know 
this is a this is a Doctor Seuss book. Like if you don't want them to see that, like you, you could just. <laughs> I thought that the, I thought that that created imagination. And I I don't creativity. know creativity. I guess it distorts their their reality. I don't know. I bet that there's somebody listening to this. He probably thinks that. I'd love to hear what their philosophy is on that. Yeah. But anyway, I mean that that's not at all uncommon in Nashville, that sort of thing. And I'm not making fun of that or saying it's wrong. There there are plenty of weird things. People think it's probably weird to to be vegan. Sure. Um so I, I appreciate that, that there are such extreme philosophies. It's just that one struck me as funny. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um so that's that's one example. Austin Cleon, who writes uh wrote a book called Steal Like an Artist, which is a very good book. Uh, I think he does something similar to what you said, takes newspaper columns and basically blacks out most of the words leaving behind like a five-word phrase, mm. not not in, words in a row, but just throughout the column that says something profound or beautiful or whatever. Hmm. Uh, so anyway, I mean, so highly, highly constrained type of art, but suddenly when you when you have this medium, you, you're free to just like to do stuff because you, it's not like there are all these possibilities. You have to kind of focus on, on what's there. Yeah. So anyway, I, I, mean, I don't know how applicable that much is to running, not that we have to be only talking about running, uh, but... I just I think I think it's a really neat topic. I'm excited to see what happens with the podcast because this is something that that I noticed in the early days of No Meat Athlete when I had told myself I was going to write every day for I don't I think it was 60 days I said I'm going to write every day for that much because I thought you had to, I thought if I did that then it would generate enough content that I would start to get traffic and stuff from Google. Um, but I, what I did in doing that I, I wrote a lot of garbage for sure, but I think having that rule that says I have to come up with a blog post for tomorrow a lot of times would make me come up with something that turned out to be a pretty good post that I would have never considered doing had I not been under that kind of pressure to do it so you don't just produce garbage because you have to produce all this extra stuff and I think with No Meat Athlete I've kind of gone the other direction I went into this phase and still kind of am where like I don't want to publish something unless I think it really is very good and excellent and worth publishing the problem with that kind of thing is you sort of slide into it goes two weeks between posts now and it's like this isn't i still don't think this is quite good enough but there's no real deadline no real pressure to come up with something new because it's like well i only have to write when i have something that really is worth it right so for me that's kind of what this is it's committing to this certain schedule uh not too it's not every day anymore because i think if i tried to write every single day there would be more garbage than there would be good stuff at least Mm -hmm. with what my new standard is for the quality of a post or a podcast uh but but this twice weekly standard i think i think that will kind of force us to say hey we let's let's sit down and come up with a whole bunch of episode ideas and put a little bit more structure i mean i think we'll make better episodes as a result not just more is what i'm so, trying to so say. do you think when you're making a commitment i mean I, like how do you find that balance between um too much for you to handle and still be able to do it well and not enough to where you're actually forcing yourself to do anything other than just try it and tweak it i don't i don't think you really can't i mean i i know having done the blogging thing for a long time now six years Mm -hmm. i feel like this is a really that's the right balance for me writing every day is hard i'm not good at sitting even without publishing i'm i am not very good at developing a habit where i sit down and write every day right uh maybe i just don't like writing enough but i don't feel (laughs) like doing that every day uh and i don't know that it's the best use use of my time uh so i don't know i think i think you've got to figure it out i mean also some of that really does affect how easy it is to develop the habit like when you're talking about habit change Right. Um, and I, I wouldn't say this is really a habit change thing. Us putting out more podcasts and blog posts. It's more like a, um, I don't know, a decision for the for the brand. Here's what we're going to do to make this the most valuable thing we can for people. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like for developing a, say, a running habit, 
or any other type of physical habit like that, if you can do it every day, that's that's going to help you make it automatic faster than if it's something you're only doing once a week or even twice a week right. because you're getting that many more chances to, to strengthen that, that habit loop in your brain, right? You, you get to yeah. do it more, and every sure. time you do, it becomes a stronger thing. So I think daily habits are really good, which is why I like the I like the run every day thing to kind of get jump started. Mm-hmm. To just say, even if you haven't been running at all, say I'm going to start running every day. I'm going to start with two minutes or five minutes, very very small amount. But I think to get started as a runner or into fitness, I think that something like that is better than saying I'm going to do half an hour for three days a week. Yeah, yeah. I mean, once you've gotten that habit formed, once you already know that you can run and you can you fall into this. Well, I'm running two or three times a week because that's when I feel like it. You know, it seems to me that maybe this is not really true, but that finding that balance where um, it's just slightly over, you know, slightly uncomfortable, a little bit more than comfortable, what's comfortable. So if you're running two or three days a week and that's very comfortable, then maybe four or five days, you know, so not every single day, but just a little bit more than comfortable than what's comfortable um, is kind of the way to go. So with writing or whatever it is too, you know, you can write one, one post a week, you've done that for many years for the most part um but two is is a little bit yeah a little bit uncomfortable i think i think you're exactly right i think it probably depends on what your what your goal is like if you're someone who just wants to if your goal isn't i want to grow as a runner or grow as a fitness person but i just want to do what my doctor says and just kind of do some minimum thing in that case maybe that's not it maybe it's more figure out the thing you can do and and just get done without thinking but i think when you're committed to growth in some sort of area I think that's exactly it. And I wrote in the blog post that the reason to do something like this is that it for, I, to make a commitment is that it forces you to stretch. Mm-hmm. And that means do stuff when you don't feel like doing it. Do more stuff potentially or harder stuff than you feel like doing, which is exactly what a marathon training program right. does for you. Yeah. Right? It makes you increase your mileage on this schedule that would, would probably not get done otherwise. Like, right? It's like if I didn't have a schedule and it just said, okay, get ready for this marathon. If there was no such thing as a marathon schedule and someone <laughs> said, get ready for this race, 26 miles, in six months from now, probably what I would do is procrastinate like everything else in my life. <laughs> and in the last five weeks, it would be this huge ramp up. And in fact, I did this for a 50 mile race, which is funny because there aren't that many 50 mile plans. And when I was doing this, there's not this preponderance of plans everywhere that you can find. There wasn't the trail runner system. There was no trail runner system by Doug Hay, <laughs> ultra marathon champion. <laughs> so I, I think without a plan, I was, I don't know, I was I was going back and forth, do I want to do this race or not? I, I didn't train for a long time because I had no plan. It was very easy to quit training. Um, had mentally kind of decided I wasn't going to do this race. And then a friend convinced me that I shouldn't quit the race or shouldn't, whatever the word is, back out of doing it. So I decided to do it. And what I did, I think for that race, in the three weeks leading up to it, except for one taper week, I, I did like 20, 25, and 30 miles for my three longest runs. After not having really put in any high mileage. I mean, I had done I had done another 50 miler like three or four months oh, previous. Okay. So it wasn't that hard of a thing to do. But it was just this classic procrastination. Mm-hmm. I'm just saving it to the end, mm-hmm. decide I'm going to do it, and then, and then do it. And I mean, who knows if that did any good other than for my confidence. Uh, but I don't know. So I, know, I think... It's kind of funny. Another story. You want to hear another okay, story? Good, yeah. <laughs> well, you know this story. Um I think that the time I met you at the Veg Fest in DC, the mm-hmm. very first time we met, uh, it was maybe the day before, later that day, or the next day you were going to do your your final like thirty mile run before this fifty. Okay, yeah, probably. And uh, and I was talking to you, and you're like, 
yeah, I don't really, you know, just really not looking forward to it, <laughs> completely dreading it because you had put it off, you know, put off the training and right. you knew how much it was going to hurt. Yeah, that must have been that. Because Veg Fest, yeah, when is the Veg Fest? That was like in the end of the summer? Yeah. Yeah, because this was September race. Right. So that right, was right. exactly that. Yeah, that's funny. We should tell that story about how you how you met me in the parking lot <laughs> and scared me. <laughs> should we say that one for next week? <laughs> we, we will. We'll do that. Okay. Scared so. You. <laughs> So let's uh let's go into I mean I think hopefully we've motivated some of this. I, I think the main motivation to take away here is that although committing to something sounds really hard, uh, or, or scary because like you don't want to impose these restrictions on your life and these limits and these things that say every day for now on I'm or for the next two months I'm going to meditate or run or eat a certain way. Right? It's really scary to say that because we fear what's gonna happen when it gets hard and when I, when I really want to quit, but I then have this, this thing pulling me in the other direction. Um, but I think that's how you make cool things happen. I think that's the primary way that anything good gets done, right? Like a marathon, uh, starting a business, whatever. I mean, it, when you, when some part of you, whether it's a formal explicit commitment that says I'm going to do X, Y, and Z every single day, or something that's a commitment to a goal that says I'm going to make this thing happen, yeah. Uh, and whenever some switch and you flips and that's, you are suddenly actually doing that. And it's not a time when you just quit on that three days later, like happens to a lot of us, I think, uh, that's, that's when we do amazing things or, or the things that are worthwhile. So I think there's so much value in commitment, even though it seems like a very difficult thing. So that's, that's the motivation for this. Um, but let's talk about some of, some of the struggles and, and our advice from our experience about getting past some of these things. So, um, as I mentioned, number one thing that I think you can do, I, I was thinking about some of the things that we were saying, what are, what are the things that we've made big commitments to and that worked out really well, right? Ended up the thing, the things that we have achieved or done, um, we obviously had running ones. We each also have starting blogs slash businesses that, that turned out to be something good. And like for the first, I don't know, I don't know how long it was for you, but for the first year it's like where where is this going why are you putting all these hours into this project that appears to have no no real gain or end in right, sight it's right. just it just seems like a time suck um for me the the number one thing like i didn't know a bunch of of tips about commitment i hadn't listened to a podcast episode about about this sort of thing uh but it was just that the goal was so powerful in my head and i was I still am into that goal setting idea into the process of, of setting a goal. One that seems way out there, very difficult, uh, because the sheer difficulty of it, uh, and, and what comes with that, I think is, is what makes it more likely to be achieved than one that's easier and not that exciting to you because it's going to make you work on it. So that alone, having that gigantic goal for me, that was qualifying for the Boston marathon. Then it was creating some sort of thing that mattered to me that felt good, that could be my own thing where I didn't have a boss anymore and I could say I'm doing this with my life and I and I think it matters. That the magnitude of those goals and how good they seem to me, that was it. Like that was enough to pull me through those hard periods. Right. And the, you know, in both of those goals, Boston when you know when you started running for Boston you were what an hour and a half away from qualifying time and and then creating a business, you know, turning a blog into a business they take a lot of time and it, you have to be patient. You have to wait for, you know, you don't get immediate results from that. You're not going to immediately drop an hour and a half or immediately start, right? you know, quit your job. Yeah. And that's the big struggle that the problem with a commitment is that it's easy at first 
And then you hit this thing. Seth Godin, who we've mentioned several times on the podcast now, has a book mm-hmm. called The the Dip. And that's what this is. It's You hit this dip period when you don't get any of the benefits of all this hard work you've done, uh, whether it's for a business, whether it's for a marathon, whether it's eating well, changing. I mean, who knows? Anything. But the the novelty of it has worn off. The willpower that you brought in at the beginning has been drained. And now it's just not fun. And it's right. not new. And it's really hard to get through. So... I think one way just to get through that is to have the goal from the outset that is strong enough that that itself will pull you through. Mm-hmm. But I think you can be smart about it. I think you can you can know going in that that's going to happen uh, and, and kind of set yourself up for some success. Right. I mean, in, in a lot of ways, that dip period, that low period is is a lot harder than actually making the commitment to begin with, right? Yeah, I think it certainly is. Yeah. Which is why probably you see – so maybe have have the story in your mind, not you, but someone listening to this – or maybe you. I mean, I've had it before. The story that says I'm not good at following through on these changes that I commit commit right. to, right? Because everyone's everyone's had something where they get excited about it, and this is their new life now. Mm-hmm. And then two weeks later, it's like, man, this kind of sucks. I can't do this anymore, and you quit it. Right. I mean, you know, we hear that from people going vegetarian all the time, and you know, and that's why there are millions of blogs out there who have that haven't been updated, you know, past three or four weeks yeah, into it, right? right? I have about five or six million of those. So, <laughs> Yourself, yeah. And one or two that I've managed to keep updating. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. So that's that's really hard. And I think, I mean, we can talk about ways to get, in fact, let's do that. Because there's another side, the other side of the struggle, I think, is for some people, that's not the hardest part. For some people, the hardest part is making the commitment because there's this tremendous fear of what if I, especially probably after you've developed this story of what if I commit to this other thing, tell everyone, do all the accountability, and then fail. Like I look, and I think people probably the pattern that happens is we learn a few times that we're not good at making change, or so we think that that we can't push through the dip, we can't last through something, and then we learn that it's therefore as a result of that it's painful to make commitments because we're ultimately going to fail. So then we get afraid of that and we don't even try to do that anymore. Right. So let's let's first talk about the first one, which probably happens earlier for someone, um, is you do make a commitment, and then you get to the spot where it's not fun anymore. How do you how do you push through that, or how do you set things up so that you are more likely to push through it? Yeah, well, I think um, you know there's some ways that we've talked about a few times in the past. One is is accountability. Um, I'm a big proponent of accountability, mm-hmm. um, and so setting up you know ways with your friends, with your family, online, you know, making that commitment to your social groups and having people hold you accountable and and, and setting you up there. Yeah, and I think we should we should probably be more specific. I mean, because it feels like we've just beaten that into the ground, accountability. But it's something that makes such a huge difference. Like, even if you if you just imagine marathon training is such an easy example, so let's go there. But the idea of training for a marathon by yourself versus having a friend who's exactly at the same level as you, has exactly the same goal race as you, and you say, we're going to do every single run of this thing together. I mean, the odds of, of those two people finishing the race versus the one who lone wolf goes by themselves and said i'm gonna do this all on my own uh and not tell anyone about it especially it, you know tremendously higher that that the pair is going to finish this race together right uh so that's that's the simplest way to do it have a partner who is doing exactly the thing you're doing often that's there's no luxury of having a partner who has exactly the same goals you do and who's at the same level you are so in that case you've got to do other things like i don't know involve your spouse or mm-hmm. your kids or if you don't have that your best friend or like you said, your social group, your social media, Facebook, whatever. 
Um, but creating situations where other people know that you're going to do something, that you, you're setting out to do something, and, and not just that, but they, they also have the, the mechanism set up for them to keep you accountable. So, so a commitment that I'm going to, not just I'm going to run a marathon, but I'm going to run a marathon and also report after every single run on here. So then when someone sees that you're not doing that, hopefully they'll ask you and say, hey, how come you haven't right. put up an annoying Facebook post recently that <laughs> no one wants to see anyway? Yeah, right. Um, so that's one. I mean, I think aside from like the stuff you can do to make it easier, and, and certainly there are plenty. Like We've talked about just the value of changing things up. We have a post on Nomad Athlete about shaking up your running routine, and it's just a bunch of ideas for someone, new things you could do if suddenly running got boring. Uh, so that's one. I mean, just realize there are lots of different things you can do. If you're trying to write or trying to do art or something, realize you can totally change your constraints and suddenly make it uh, a much different game and more fun. I mean, there's so many different things you can do. But in advance of all that, I think just the knowledge that, that this is going to be – just realizing when you go in that you're going to hit this really hard part. Yep, right. Yeah, mm-hmm. and saying – at the beginning, I know this is going to happen. I know there's going to be this period in here, and I don't know how long it's going to be, but I know it's going to be terrible in there. And at this point, at the outset, I'm deciding that it is worth pushing through that. Right. And then doing everything you can to basically not let yourself make the decision to quit. Right. <laughs> like make the decision to quit before you start. And that's the idea of of that book, The Dip by Seth Godin. It basically says the time to quit is is before you start. Decide at the beginning that this endeavor is worthwhile enough that I'm going to go through this terrible period where it's not any fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, or if, if if it's not worth it or if I can't get through that, then I'm not going to start this. I'm going to try something else. The, the, don't waste your time doing a million different starts and then quitting when it gets hard because you'll never get anywhere that way. That's, that's probably dumber than not trying anything at all. Right. I'm kind of going through this right now with uh... – my own podcast, as you know, I started mm-hmm. Trail Talk, my own podcast, and and it's been going on. I think I'm on episode nine right now, so a couple months I've been putting out one a week, and I didn't really know, I didn't have an, necessarily an end goal of what this would do, but I was excited about it. I wanted to try it, and um, you know, in the first few weeks were a lot of fun. They were different. It was, you know, it's a different style than than what we do here, so it was exciting and 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 fun, uh, you know. But then I definitely hit that dip. I kind of ran out of ideas. I wasn't seeing um, you know, I wasn't seeing how it was changing my business or, or doing anything that, you know, was propelling me forward all that much. Uh, but I was getting tweets from, from listeners who were saying that they were listening and, and saying that they were enjoying it. And when it got really tough, I was able to, or I have been looking at those regularly, you know, before when I don't feel like I want to write or you come up with ideas for, for the next episode, I'll go back and read some of those tweets. I'll go back and share something and have immediate feedback. It's those little small wins that um, that I can kind of keep reminding myself with. And I guess that's partially accountability. That's also partially just uh, me doing whatever I can to work through that dip and knowing that if I'm going to get through it, I have to focus on the positive stuff and not get not let myself get in the in the mindset of of yeah, wanting to quit. That's, I think it's a good example. Uh, it's it's reminds me also of two different strategies one is focusing on your goal or more specifically the the why like what is the reason i'm doing this mm-hmm. uh and i would hope that part of that reason for you is is to help a lot of people and and sure. to have people really really appreciate this and make actual changes so you're kind of reconnecting with that why and you're also like we mentioned shaking up the running routine changing things up i think when you when you kind of uh 
prime yourself before an episode by looking at that stuff, you're changing the environment. You're making it a more, you're reminding yourself of what's fun about it. Positive. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. And how people, you know, people are enjoying it. People are listening to it. People are growing from it. So, you know, if you can, I mean, even if it's a selfish goal or a personal goal, like running a marathon or uh, losing weight, you know, you can still think about the why why you're doing it and then the positive things that it's it's doing for not just yourself but for your family or for your community or whatever it is right another good strategy for you specifically in this case doug would be to sneak that into like a nomad athlete episode try to mention your podcast <laughs> in a way that's related to the topic so that people then hear the name and, and how people to can subscribe on itunes at, <laughs> exactly. to Charles Talk on that, right. <laughs> okay so I actually are... snuck in the Trailrunner system and Trailrunner. <laughs> I, I know, this is great. Just... <laughs> oh, did I mention I won a race a couple weeks ago? <laughs> okay. Um, so I think I think we've talked about these themes so many times, that of of starting small. So we, we intentionally didn't put start small in, in these tips. Uh, <laughs> but the theme of being patient and just understanding, like especially with fitness, it, it doesn't matter at all what you do for six months of your life. It does not matter one bit if you go run a marathon and then hurt yourself or get so burned out of running that then you spend the next three years on the couch and you're in worse shape than you were before. Right? It does nothing for your for your health or anything. It probably hurts your health. What matters when it comes to, to fitness type things is what you can manage to do for decades upon decades and what what movement you make in this new direction um and, and when you think about it that way, it's kind of, I think it gives, it helps you be patient, right? Because you realize it, it, I don't have to metaphorically sprint to this new thing. I don't need to go hit the gym for an hour to get in shape for beach season. I mean, maybe that's a separate motivator, but the people who do that generally get in shape for beach season and then get out of shape very soon afterward. And they're not making this kind of long-term change. Uh, so I think, I think kind of just understanding that, it doesn't. What happens in the next year or two years really doesn't matter. What matters is what I can make last for five and six years and many years beyond that. Uh, and to me, that helps me be okay with the smaller steps idea, that that exponential improvement idea that you start, you improve. I think you wrote about this once, right? Improve by one percent a yep. week or something like mm-hmm. that. And if you're truly doing that, improving by some fixed percentage each week, then you get those exponential returns because one percent a year from now is a much larger than one percent is now, and ten years from now. It's even bigger than that. So, so this this exponential phenomenon happens in a lot more things than than compound interest and things like that. It happens with habits, and and that's really one of the huge arguments for being patient enough to start small. Uh, also goes along with the the thing I like to tell people about goals, which is you should have a humongous goal. I think it's great to have one for most people that is seems crazy and and it just seems ridiculous, but part of you can somehow believe that you can do it. Uh, but to give yourself enough time to do that. And that's the mistake people often make with this advice and why I think people don't set, or, or why the advice to set huge goals isn't all that popular as I think it should be, uh, is because people set this crazy fitness goal for themselves that's all every bit as inspiring as it should be, but they want to do it by the end of this year. And that requires some kind of crazy training program that gets them hurt and that doesn't work out. If instead this goal that I'm going to say go from couch to Ironman, which is, I mean, for a given person, someone who is currently sitting on the couch and can't imagine running, if they told someone they're going to do an Ironman, they probably would be laughed at, right? That, to me, is the type of goal I'm talking about. Right. Doesn't have to be an impossible thing that no human has ever done before. But if you give yourself, say, five years or ten years to do a goal like that, I mean, I think 
it would be pretty ridiculous to to look at someone and say you can't get in shape for an Ironman in ten years of your life, right? I mean, if you give yourself long enough time, what what is unreasonable and what's what's realistic actually really really starts to change when you expand from one year to ten years. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that this point transitions well into something that I think is really interesting about your posts and your commitment to two posts a week and two podcasts a week. Um, is the idea of setting a deadline when you when you set commitments? What yeah. what's the value in the deadline? I think we should we should distinguish between the deadline of I'm going to run a marathon by such and such a date in the future. That that's sort of I mean that is the same thing. That's a goal deadline. But when I wrote that in the post, and I think what you're referring to is saying I'm if I'm going to do some sort of behavior, if I'm committing to doing a habitual thing. Uh, putting an end date to it, saying I'm going to do this for a month or I'm going to do this for a year or whatever it is. Right. And when I get to that point, then I can decide, am I going to keep doing this? Uh, the reason to have that is it really does help with that dip section that we talked about. So a good example of this that a lot of people experience is when they go vegetarian or when they go vegan, uh, especially in the early days, they're, when you still have this physical addiction, tying in back with your coffee story, <laughs> um, to certain types of foods or or to certain flavors and foods, when you have that, uh, there are going to be cravings, and there's going to be things when, times when you badly want certain food. When you when you're fighting that sort of craving, it's hard enough to not eat that food in the moment. What you what you certainly don't need working against you is the thought then that says, "And I can actually never have a cheeseburger again in my entire life." Right. right? So it's not like I just can't have it now, but never again will I get to experience that. Mm-hmm. Then the urge to to say, well, to hell with this whole thing. I'm just going to go back and indulge that craving now and be able to do that in the future. That's really, I think, appealing then, right? To to give up at that point. Sure. So if instead it's I'm going to be vegetarian for a month, or in fact, if it's the first time you're doing it, I would recommend saying a week or ten days. So maybe it's two or three days into this, and then then the story in your head is all I have to do is make it four more days like this. I can do that. I can I can eat something else, French fries if it has to be that right now instead of the cheeseburger, and then in four days I'll I'll make a good decision about whether I want to keep doing this or not. But I will know that I did what I said I was going to do. I made it a week, and that's exactly how I did it. I said I did a ten day challenge. Uh, I think I had a little bit of fish at that time still, but it was it was mostly vegetarian. That was the idea, and then I got to the end of that, and I said that was really good, and I certainly had cravings during that time, but got to the end of it. And evaluated in a state when I wasn't in that craving food state and said, that actually was really good. I felt great. It was hard at times, but it was worth it. Now I'm going to do this for 30 days. Mm-hmm. So just basically extending that deadline, but still not saying I'm in this for life yet. Right, right. And I don't think I ever had a point where I said, okay, like now there's no more deadline. I'm just in this for life. But it just it kind of naturally became that. And I think yeah. that's probably the way it should be rather than really ever making a decision that says I'm doing this for life. Yeah. I mean, when I went vegan, and you know the story, I did the seven-day vegan challenge, the Leo Babautos mm-hmm. challenge, um, and I, you know, I'd been scared. I needed some sort of commitment. I needed some sort of uh, deadline, a little challenge like that, to even do it because I'd been afraid to go to make that commitment to go from vegetarian to vegan. And when it was done, I realized I wasn't ready yet to go one hundred percent vegan after that seven days. But I was ready. It did teach me and allowed me to see how easy it was to to be more vegan. So yeah. that's when we this made the, great point. the transition to um, the at home vegan. Uh, you know, and we've talked about this. But if listeners don't know, I was, I was at, vegan at home, so everything at home was vegan, and then outside of the house, I was I would allow myself to just be vegetarian, and, and then eventually that kind of 
shifted and now there was no set, set set time i don't think when i'd said i was vegan uh, but it just kind of shifted that way. But I learned during that seven days that uh, that I could do it, and it gave me some a little more structure and a little more excitement. Yeah, I guess. I, that's a really good point. I didn't think of that. Uh, I've I've definitely said that thing on the podcast before. That whenever I make a diet change, often what happens is that that wasn't the first time I experienced that diet change. I I kind of tend to do experiments that are pretty extreme based on where I am, with a set t- deadline to it, and then. Usually that experiment teaches me that I'm not quite ready to do that yet. Mm-hmm. But I get to the end of it and I say, okay, that was good. I'm glad I did that. I'm going to go back to how I was. And then I tend to gradually approach that new level over the next, I don't know, three to six months. And then soon enough, find myself eating that way. Right. Uh, so I think that's really important. What's What I just thought of that actually I don't, I don't know the answer to this, but had you not set a seven-day challenge, what if it was just – you what if what if Leo's thing and we mentioned Leo again? That's good to get back to that. We used to always <laughs> mention him, and now we haven't in a while. Uh, but what if his thing wasn't that? What if it was just the go vegan challenge, and you did it, and after seven days you said, "Ah, eh, this is like you made it seven days," and you just said, "This is good, but I'm I can't really do it anymore, so I'm I'm not ready to do this yet. I'm going to stop." I think then you you have suddenly a negative thing, like I failed at this at this vegan experiment that was going to be an indefinite lasting experiment. And I failed after seven days. I stopped doing it. Your your whole, I don't know, story that you tell yourself now about that could be, that was too hard for me. That leads to failure. I'm never going to try something like that again. But because you had that short deadline on there and mm-hmm. you actually won by you did the challenge, you did what you said you were going to do and then said, I'm not quite ready to do that, but I see what it was like and I have a positive feeling about it because I succeeded. Yeah. Uh, I, I would imagine that that increases the chances that you come back to it. So Sure. I think I think deadlines are are great for that reason too. Certainly, that some of the habits or the changes that you made stick. So after this deadline of writing two posts, you might not ever make that commitment again. But I bet that you'll be writing more posts after that, just because you'll be right. You in the so. habit, and you'll and you'll see how that has affected your your wellness, your mental wellness, and your uh, and the business. Yeah. So as I was writing that post, I actually did not plan on putting that deadline in there, but I was I was writing that post. And as I was doing it, I was kind of scared. I was like, wow, am I really just committing to this forever? Like, what happens if I don't feel like doing that anymore? And I realized that it was a terrible idea for the business or, or for me or whatever. Um, oh, we would have shamed you so, <laughs> so hard. <laughs> well, so, but, I, but I, I'm really glad I put it in there, not, not to protect myself, uh, which is kind of what the reason was, but <laughs> because it is a good example of using these tools. And I think when it does get hard, which I'm, there probably will be weeks where it's like, man, I wish I wouldn't have done that. It'd be a lot mm-hmm. nicer just to go drink beer now or something instead of writing but i think the thought of okay i only have to do this until november that's what i promised people i would do when and i I made it the same day as my marathon just because that's uh, you know that was the other thing that i was writing about in the post uh but yeah i think i think that'll pull me through some of that dip period that we're talking about if if there is such a thing here and who knows if there will be maybe it'll be maybe it'll be great and and go swimmingly (laughs) all roses and Maybe it's it's possible. I don't know. I have a bunch of ideas for posts that I just suddenly now that there's this commitment now there's this reason to come up with ideas and dig up these ideas that I go. thought of before. Yeah, which is exactly Power the point that we right. want. Exactly. Cool. Which it might be a good point to end. Yeah, I think so. And we are gonna go get a beer now because it's beer week in it Asheville. Is beer week, and we're gonna go. And you gotta go taste to beer some week. sours. That's right. I don't like sour beers. I love sour. Beers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I like tasting them, and I always think I'm gonna get into them, but I don't. Yeah. You know what beer they had at Wicked Weed? Their uh, Cool Cumber, Imperial Cool Cumber, uh, which is a cucumber beer. Didn't you have that the other one time? I did have that, yeah. 
It was okay. It was just weird. I remember liking it. It was like really light and cucumbery, right? It had a weird taste to it that I could tell was cucumber, but it didn't taste like a cucumber taste mm. to me. So I don't know. It was good. A friend of mine just brewed a cucumber wheat beer. Really? Yeah, a guy in the, my running club in Black Mountain. That sounded hmm. really good. I haven't tried it, but it sounds good. Yeah, summary. I guess it does. It does sound summery. It doesn't sound as good as a watermelon wheat beer, like that, mm. that one, 21st Amendment. Yeah, that is good. Yeah, I don't, cucumber is not a good vegetable a lot of times. It just tastes, I don't know what it is. You know, sorry, we're getting way off topic here. <laughs> yeah, we should just end it. Okay, what's up? The, uh, have you ever had the Abita strawberry beer? No, I've seen it. It sounds terrible, right? <laughs> <laughs> but I was at the pool over Memorial Day weekend, and it was hot, and we were sitting around drinking beers, and, and I opened one of those, and it was so good. <laughs> really? Like, for that for that particular moment in that particular setting, you know? I right, wouldn't just right, sit right. around that's the fire good. drinking one but it was it was like so refreshing and, and yeah. delicious well so, good all right so i had a couple more there, there you <laughs> go good yeah i fruit beers are okay i don't know new belgium makes some makes some okay ones but um i don't know we should just end this episode i think it's, <laughs> it's beer week in Asheville, is why we're talking about this um so anyway that's that well. <laughs> pretty strong ending there <laughs> okay so we'll see you guys a couple times next week right yes starting next week we will be back with two episodes per week i won't email about all of them but if you are subscribed you will get them in whatever channel you're subscribed in itunes stitcher whatever it may be and we have some some interviews coming up which i think people will be yeah. excited about. let me get back to some interview format maybe maybe do half of the episodes as interviews if we can maybe get there i don't really know we'll have to see how that goes but lots of ideas and lots of uh, lots of chances to play with it now that we have this good commitment. And it, we should also encourage people who are listening to this because I I fear that people like listening to the podcast for entertainment, but I know that it's hard to translate that into actual action because you're doing something entirely different, perhaps running, commuting, and then you go sit and work for eight hours and totally don't think about this stuff and then come back and and forget about it. So I I would challenge people to actually make some sort of commitment. Uh, whether it's a big one or a small one, but use some of these tips. Put a deadline. Say you're going to do something for a week. I don't know. Go go meditate for a week, one day a week, five minutes, or sorry, every day for a week for five minutes. Something really small, but I think it's not a bad idea to just sort of developing that commitment muscle and uh, and get some experience doing it. So that is my challenge to you if you are a Nomadathlete Radio listener, and uh, hopefully hopefully you can uh, hopefully some people let us know on Twitter or elsewhere what they did. Yeah, look forward to it. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll be back with two episodes next week. All right.